It is a joy to be with you guys today. I have been yearning for this time to, to come and spend together with you and to open up the Lord's Word. Uh, I know many of you, I've met many of you, but we don't have a, a depth of relationship yet. So I thought today as I start off, I would do some show and tell. Uh, so I brought one of my Christmas gifts to share with you all. Uh, this Christmas was really a, a special time for our family. It's always a joy watching our kids open gifts, but my wife gave me one gift in particular that meant a lot to me this year. It really, it spoke to who I am. And you know those gifts, they're, they're really unique and something that you cling to. Um, it was a bookmark, and I am a guy who loves to read. Uh, she knows that, but it was even deeper than that. It's engraved with a famous quote from the pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards. Uh, we have it on the screen I'd like to show you. This quote says, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And I open that up and I'm like, Wow, my wife knows what an utterly terrible person I am. <laughs> no, no, seriously though, I, I love the bookmark and I'm so thankful for it. Uh, my wife, Mary, she knows me better than anyone, and she knows the struggles that I face. She knows the, the temptations and the thoughts that I wrestle with, and she knows my deep need for the Lord, and I, I'm so thankful for how you minister to my heart. Well, today, I want to really spend some time thinking on this quote and really the, the text that drives this thought. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And as we read this today, I want you to see how Paul really redefines our relationship with sin. We're going to be looking at Romans 6, verses 1 through 14 today. And let's begin in verse 1. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now Paul is pointing back to the statement that he made in Romans chapter 5 verse 20. He said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And last week, Pastor Micah used the illustration about how his son could make some pretty big messes, right? And as the father who loves his child... His love is actually revealed in how he cleans up those messes. And sometimes the bigger the mess, the more his love is displayed. Now, some of us, we may read this text and be tempted to think, well, if, if my mess brings more of God's love, wouldn't more of a mess just bring more of God's love on my life? And, and friends, I worked with teenagers for over a decade. I, I love the way that their minds work. You know, they're always testing limits and boundaries and trying to see how far they can take a certain thought. And I just see the questions playing out in front of them. That, well, if, if I get grace for sin, and grace is a good thing, shouldn't I just keep sinning so that more and more grace comes into the world? But how does, how does Paul respond to that question? Let's look in verse 2. He says, By no means, or some translations say, May it never be. He says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
That's a pretty harsh response, isn't it? May it never be, by no means. But as we see today through more of this text, this is a big concern. This is an identity issue. And I think this question really shows how lax and complacent we can become when we consider sin in our lives. You and I may be tempted at times to think it's only a few dollars or it was just a one-time thing or everyone else is doing it or my, my personal flaw. The light was mostly yellow when I drove through. Uh, but it made me think when I was a, a young boy, I was maybe six or seven years old, my dad took me to Radio Shack. And I don't know if you've heard, but the shack is back and apparently into cryptocurrency. But that's, that's for another day. Uh, well, we went to Radio Shack, and I loved to go and play with all the toys and gadgets and drive the remote control cars. But that day, there was a, a special item on display. It was a 3D monitor for your computer. And they had that little... 3D glasses, you know, the, the paper ones with the blue and the red lens. And I, I was just enamored by this. I put on the glasses and I saw this 8-bit dinosaur like jump out of the screen. And it was incredible. And I, I held up my hands and it was like they were real life. It was amazing. And I decided in that moment that those glasses were going to be mine. But as many of you know, it's hard for a six-year-old to come by a good steady job so I made a decision that I was going to take those glasses, and when my dad wasn't looking, I slipped them into my pocket. We walked out of the store a few minutes later, and I wanted to see what the world would look like in 3D. So I put the glasses on, and my dad looks over and says, son, where did you get those glasses? Busted. <laughs> You've been there, right? <laughs> In that moment, my dad, being the good man that he is, turned me around, made me give the glasses back to the, the pimply-faced teenager working the desk, and apologize for sinning. And in that moment, I don't know that it was actually spoken, but it was definitely communicated. My dad communicated to me, we are Finleys. Finleys are honest, hardworking people. Finleys don't take what doesn't belong to us, no matter how small it is. We are Finleys. And in our text today, we're going to see a similar thought. Paul is going to show us that same mindset. We are Finleys. We are in Christ. And because of that identity, it defines who we are. It changes our relationship with sin. Let's continue in verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, before we get too far, let me first say that baptism is important. Baptism is a beautiful symbol of us being washed and cleansed from our sins. It is being identified with Christ. And beyond that, it's a, a really awesome unifying act. When we think about 
all of the brothers and sisters throughout history and all across the globe who have come into this same act together. It's a a sweet gift to the church. But as we think of baptism, I think it's important to say, Paul is not saying here that baptism is what saves us. He's not communicating that. He's saying that it's an illustration of our union with Christ, that we are baptized into his death and raised into his resurrection. But our salvation itself is dependent on Jesus' work in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, from the cross, pardon me. And he continues by saying, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So not only are we dead to sin, but we are baptized into Jesus' death. In other words, being dead to sin isn't just about sin avoidance. It's not just trying to uphold laws or rules or to be a moral person. It's about being united with Jesus. And this being dead to sin, it's less about keeping a tally of whether or not we sin. It's really an identity issue. It's that we are Finley's statement. It's that we are in Christ reality. Paul tells the Corinthians in his second letter, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, at many points throughout Scripture, we see these reflections. We see these characteristics of who we once were. And I think it's important to think on that once in a while. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says that we were dead in our sins. In several points later in Romans chapter 6, He says that we are slaves of sin. Ezekiel describes our heart as stony, as hard. We see this as our old identity, what we once were. But praise God, if we have been baptized into Jesus, we are baptized into his death and his resurrection. We are no longer in the grave. We are no longer dead and slaves with hard hearts. We are now united with him and alive. You know, it's similar to the marriage relationship that we see laid out in Genesis 2.24. It says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's this leaving of the old relationship and a coming together, a union of the new relationship. So, Do you see the distinction here that if we were to continue living out our old life while claiming to be a part of this new identity in Christ, there's this massive tension. There's this massive discord because it's not a true relationship. It would be like if my wife and I, we spent our day together, but then at night she went back to her parents' house to be tucked in and sung a lullaby. It, it, it's not a true relationship. It's not a true union because there must be a leaving and a cleaving. Continuing in verses 4 and 5 of Romans 6, Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too 
might walk in newness of life. In verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This union, this identity in Christ, it's about so much more than just forgiving us of our sins and moving on. It's giving us a new nature. As we saw earlier, it's about moving us from those dead slaves with rigor mortis in our hearts to being missional, to be ambassadors, to carrying out what Christ has set before us. Ephesians 2.10 gives us this beautiful picture. It says that we are his workmanship. Some translations say we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hear this. God created you on purpose and for a purpose. You are not an accident. And this new life that we are called to is one that God has specifically designed for you. He placed you here at the Ridgeview campus in 2022 for a reason. He has called us to this work. He has put you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on purpose. And we have been resurrected to show the world around us what true life looks like. Don't forget that. He says... And we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, Paul affirms our union with Jesus by saying in verses 6 and 7, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Our old self was crucified. Before too long, we'll be coming up on the Easter season. And it's always a a weighty thought just to recall what our Lord went through out of his deep love for us. And I want us just to pause and reflect on that this morning. Because it says our old self was crucified with Christ. Do you remember what he faced? Jesus was mocked and abused. He was beaten. His flesh was ripped off of his body through the lashings. He was forced to carry that heavy, rough-hewn log across his bloody, beaten back on that long road to Golgotha. And then he was nailed to it and lifted up for the world to mock and to decry this king of the Jews. And he was forsaken, and he died out of his deep love for us. And friends, our old self was nailed there as well. Our old self wasn't just written a speeding ticket and told to go on its way. It has been obliterated. It has been destroyed. And Paul is telling us, for us to go back to this this temptation, this allure of living in what we once were, 
that doesn't align with our, our identity, what we've been called to, what we've been set apart for as followers of Jesus. We are a new creation. Again, Paul reminds us in verses 8 through 11 that our union redefines our relationship with sin. He says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you hear the power in those verses? Do you hear the victory? Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. There is victory which we are identified with. That describes you and that describes me as followers of Jesus. We are new creation. I think for many of us, there may have been a time where you were tempted to to question or to doubt whether or not you were saved. For me, I know I wrestled with that as uh, a student in youth ministry at times. And I I came across this quote from John MacArthur this week that really reminded me of the strength of these verses that we just read. MacArthur says, It's impossible to lose your salvation because you didn't do anything to gain it. He says, If you could lose your salvation, you would. If my salvation depended on me, he says, I would lose it. I don't have the power to keep my salvation. That is an incredible truth that we need to remind ourselves of. Salvation is a gift. And like my bookmark says, the only thing that I bring to the equation is the sin that made it necessary. We are united with Christ. And that's what defines us. That's what defines our relationship to sin. That's what defines our purpose in life. And that's what inspires Paul to write these next words to bring a personal challenge for each of us. In verses 12 through 14, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul challenges us to present ourselves to God rather than to sin. So instead of that first question that he wrestled with, whether or not I give in to sin that grace may abound, he gives us a new question, a more sobering question. Do I present myself to sin or to God, to the grave or to the resurrection? But in verse 14, he tells us, sin will have no dominion over you. We are baptized into Jesus. 
And that means that our old self was crucified with him. And that means that the life that we now live is not just a return to the normal humdrum rhythms that that we used to walk in. We are resurrected to live out the mission that he has for us. So we are crucified with Christ. We are resurrected with Christ. But let's think for a moment, how does that play out in our lives? I think it all circles back around that question of what do we do with the grave? They don't sell round-trip tickets to the graveyard. Once you leave, you don't go back. So today, I want to turn our attention to three ways that you and I must decide between the grave and resurrection. First, the choice between the grave and resurrection begins with the decision to leave sin in the grave. For those of you who are on the fence about this whole following Jesus thing, hear me when I say that our sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Our sin will tell us that it will bring satisfaction, that it will bring pleasure and joy that will last. But in time, it will betray you. In time, what once sounded so sweet will be like the taste of vomit in your mouth. It is a trap, and it will only leave you broken if you pursue that. Leave sin in the grave. Cling to Jesus because that's where we find true life. For those of you who are following Jesus, let me encourage you to do the same thing, to leave sin in the grave. The enemy, he will attempt to convince you that your identity is all wrapped up in who you used to be. He's going to try to convince you that you are an addict or that you are an adulterer or that you are fill in the blank with whatever your sins and your trappings used to be of your old self. And he's going to try to tell you that that is your identity. That is who you are. But friends, we have been buried with Christ, and we have been resurrected with Christ. And remember, that old self has been nailed to the cross. That is not who you are. Praise God, that is a testimony of resurrection. You have been raised to new life, and you are identified as Christ, not as the old trappings of what you once were. So leave sin in the grave. Second, You and I need to choose to walk out of the grave. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you hear my genuine love and compassion when I say this, but at the moment, you are still in the grave. You are, as scripture says, that dead slave with rigor mortis in your heart. And my prayer is that today would be a day of new life, that in a moment as we pray that you would put your trust in Jesus and be forgiven for your sins and truly raised up to walk out of the grave. But for those of us who are following Jesus, we too need to walk out of the grave. For some of us, the the old illustration may ring true that 
It's like we're a prisoner and the cell door has been unlocked and left open, but yet we still sit behind bars. Galatians says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He didn't just unlock the bars to give us a a pass into heaven. Though he accomplished that, he gave us a purpose as well. He calls us to walk out of the grave, to live free and forgiven, and to show the world who he is. Walk out of the grave. As you and I, we should be the most joyful people that you've ever encountered. We are the ones who were dead, but are now alive in Christ. And that is our identity. That should set us on fire to show the love and the grace that we've experienced to the world around us. We should be the ones who are bringing justice and reconciliation to those who have been downtrodden in their sin and the brokenness around them. We should be the ones stepping out to expand the kingdom so that the Lord's name would go even further. We should be the ones who are walking out of the grave, showing the world what it looks like to be alive. Walk out of the grave. Third, and finally, as a follower of Jesus, we must choose to reach into the grave. Now by this, I mean that as people who have experienced life in Christ, our highest priority should be setting others free as well. Don't just leave the graveyard and move on to new things. Remember what you've been forgiven and with a heart of compassion and mission, go back to help others find what you have found. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is our mission. That is our primary focus. And you, you've probably memorized that. You've probably got it hung up around your house or in the building here. But I want to back up one verse prior. In verse 18, this is where I find the most joy and the most excitement in this verse. Because this is where the power lies. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you realize what that means? It means that Jesus had all the power in all that has ever been created. So with that power, he could have done anything. He could have set up a physical throne on earth where all the nations would see his glory and his majesty. But he didn't choose to do that. Instead, with all power, he chose to empower us with the Holy Spirit And send us out as ambassadors, as missionaries, as church planters, as good neighbors and workers who love and honor Jesus. That is what he did with all power. So that we could take that message to the nations and see the world transformed by the love and the salvation that he offers. If you have been baptized into Jesus... Leave your sin in the grave. Walk out of the grave 
and reach back into the grave. Help others find the life that you have received in Jesus. Now you may ask, what can I do to reach into the grave? This, this may seem overly simplistic, but I would encourage you to do three simple things. First, get on your knees and pray. That's where the real work happens. That's where we see the Lord show his majesty, where we see him move beyond human capacity. Pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest. Pray for salvation of those that you care deeply about. Don't take this for granted. Second, just extend your hand. Reach out open-handedly into the grave. Now, as you and I live on mission, there is that open-handedness that we're called to, that whatever the Lord leads, we would do so that others might hear and respond. And that might mean for some of us to contribute financially to the Multiply 2028 campaign. Maybe you are called to invest in lostness around our community by giving financially and resourcing that mission. Maybe you're called to join the work of Mission Esperanza or Overflow Church that I'll be leading or one of the future campuses or plants that we'll be sending out as a church. Maybe that is how you can open-handedly reach into the grave. Maybe it's using your gifts and your relationships to minister to the people around you. Have a Super Bowl party and pretend like you're happy. I know, it's, it's Kansas City, but... We can still show love in our pain, right? Begin a Bible study with your coworkers before or after work. Use your social media influence to encourage others with scripture and the calling that we have. So get on your knees, extend your hand, and lift out whatever the Lord resurrects. And by that, I mean disciple and equip those that the Lord saves. Don't just... Look for a response and leave them in the grave. Help them climb out. Help them take those first steps as a follower of Jesus. Invite them to church with you on Sunday. Bring them to Sunday school. Join a D group together. Truly be a friend who loves them like Jesus. Now friends, I want you to hear this clearly. that If you're here today and you've been living as a slave to sin... I pray that today is a day of freedom. As we heard in the text today, you can be brought from death to life by putting your trust in Jesus and following him. You can say with Paul that sin will have no dominion over you. And you may be asking, how? How can I be free from sin? Scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That belief it's more than a, a head knowledge. It's a, a heart recognition. It's a thought with action accompanying it. It's stepping out in faith and following what Jesus taught and demonstrated. It's turning from sin, leaving it in the grave, grabbing a hold of Jesus' extended nail-scarred hands and stepping out of the grave into the new life that he brings. So friends, if you find yourself through examination still living in the grave I'd ask that we all just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to take this moment to extend my hand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you feel that you are still living in the grave, I would invite you to just pray with me in the quietness of your heart. God, I, I know that I've lived my life 
dead in sin and rebelling against you, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I pray that you would save me. Resurrect me from the grave like you resurrected from the grave. I trust you for my salvation. And I pray that you would pull me out of that grave and help me to live truly alive and free. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.